Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Our first reading, the prophet is complaining to God that there is injustice in the world and that he's doing nothing about it. And God's response to his prophet and to all the people is, um, you remain faithful. Those who remain faithful to me, I will save. Remember promises I've made that I'm faithful to. The time is coming, but not now. But in this time, you remain faithful. St. Paul uh, is telling uh, one of his protégés, remain faithful in all things and bear your troubles and, uh, with great hope and patience in God. Uh, and continue to testify on behalf of God and his goodness. The gospel is a tough one. So my friends, uh, in this part of Luke's gospel, we have a series of seeming unrelated um, and disjointed sayings of Jesus. And... Uh, there, And uh, this is hard for us to understand because Jesus is the Son of God, but he has a limited amount of time in this world. You see, when he broke into our world, if you will, when he was sent into our world, he came in to linear time. Jesus is the Son of God. He comes from eternity. But when he came into this world, he had to come into linear time. So that means he only has so much time here. He knows he's running out of time on the earth. So he's trying to get everything done, then the apostles have plenty to learn and Jesus, about Jesus, about his mission, and what they have been called to do. And uh, what Jesus is doing is teaching them about the responsibilities of being a true disciple of him. And our Lord has, uh, through those three years, he has been working so hard at dispelling false notions about the Messiah and about God's kingdom, and he even had to dispel notions about God himself to the people. And um, I can only imagine that it must be tiring for him. And um, prior to today's gospel, Jesus told his disciples they had to be ready to forgive a person, even uh, if that person offended them seven times a day. Now, the thing with that is, is that um, seven at the time was considered to be a big number. And uh, to the Jews who were prone to grudges and just ridiculous feuds amongst each other, um, what Jesus was asking of them to forgive seemed impossible. And um, the apostles knew then that they would need help in order to fulfill the commandment of Jesus. Uh, so what they do is that opens up with, they ask him for faith, increase our faith. And uh, Jesus' reply is that if they had faith the size of a mustard seed, uh, they could ask a mulberry tree to be uprooted and put into the sea and plant itself, and it would do it. And uh, um, now here we go. The mustard seed is uh, regarded as one of the smallest seeds in that region. What is Jesus suggesting by this then? Uh, that even just a little bit of authentic faith uh, will get you a lot of things. You'll be able to accomplish quite a bit. The mulberry tree, on the other hand, is something really different. And they knew what Jesus was talking about, but you may not. So let me explain it to you. The mulberry tree uh, grew much bigger. It was a larger tree, and it was known for its root system. It went deep. You trying to pull it out of the ground, nearly impossible. And um, Jesus drives the point home that with the tiniest bit of faith, even the seemingly impossible, like forgiveness over and over again. You see what he's getting at? To forgive again and again and again and again and again and again and again. 
It's not merely possible, but possible even in the most improbable of situations. And this is why he throws in the mulberry tree, such as planting the mulberry tree in the sea. The second half of today's gospel has three rhetorical questions based on the relationship that existed in Jesus' time between a master and a servant. You know that in his parable, the master is God. So Jesus is talking about the relationship between God and humanity, between creator and creation. And our Lord offers a really a fresh aspect and variation on the appropriate relationship that should exist between God and those he have fashioned in his own likeness. Who is that? All of you. Now, some scripture scholars and not few Christians are disturbed by the adjective that's used um, to describe the servant in today's parable. Um, after he has completed everything uh, that he's been asked to do, um, some of the scholars and some Christians say, well, what else can this guy do? Poor guy, he's done everything, and now look what he's supposed to say. <laughs> Man, mom. <laughs> so, my friends, first of all, it is unlikely that Jesus was directing this parable at the general population. But that does not mean we ignore it. Jesus is putting this parable to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, um, they taught that you must observe the Mosaic law perfectly. And if you fail, you will go to, right? <clears throat> Which is weird because they didn't believe that existed. <laughs> Nor did they believe heaven existed. So you see the... You see the difficulty that Jesus had <laughs> with people. The Pharisees also had this self-righteous feeling about themselves. And when you read the gospel, you know this. When you read the scriptures, you know this. And the Pharisees, they were so self-righteous that they felt that God was indebted to them for their goodness. And thus, God was obliged to reward them with something. Are you following this? If they follow the law, God was indebted to them. I'm like, where were the psychologists back then? <laughs> because people had some ego problems. And my friends, uh, to deflate this sanctimonious attitude, Jesus addressed himself to a piece of culture of the time that existed, master and servant. Servants were expected to work all day and then prepare the master's dinner before attending to their own needs. My friends, in Jesus' time, neither the servant nor the master would have found this unusual. This is just the way it was. Are you getting this? That's why Jesus is using this. He knows the Pharisees. They're masters, and he knows that they have servants. And what I'm putting to you is that neither the servant nor the master would find this unusual. This is what they do. And uh, neither would think it also called for a reward. The servant would have said, now you owe me. He wouldn't have done that. So then we see the point of the comparison becomes clear. God created us to know him. God created us to love him. God created us to serve him in this world. And my friends, when all is said and done, we are only doing what we are created to do. And this is what some of the biblical scholars and some of Christians have a problem with. And I don't understand why. Jesus was quite clear. God created you. Not the other way around. We have no claim over God. 
for any special reward. In equity, God owes us absolutely nothing. No response. Because you believe it? Or because you're like the ones I'm talking about are just... Mm. Here's the thing. Many Christians erroneously believe the question of their individual salvation depends solely upon themselves and their conduct. In this, they are completely wrong. The church fought this as a heresy. It was called Pelagianism. And to be honest with you, as your pastor and as a Roman Catholic priest, I am so tired of talking about this, not only with my own people, but fighting about this with the Protestants. It's like, this was handled hundreds of years ago. Let's move on. <laughs> but part of the problem is because some of our own Roman Catholic Christians don't get it and don't understand it. So I'm trying to explain it to you. I don't want to talk about it anymore with you guys <laughs> because this should be 101 with you. My friends, as the, today's parable makes vividly clear, even if you and I live perfectly from a human perspective, we would still have no claim on God for reward. Do you understand this? No matter how perfect you think you are living, you would still not be able to claim anything on God. God will never be indebted to you. Never. Never. Baptist? Never, right? <laughs> See, he gets it. <laughs> Here it is. Salvation comes from God and not from humanity. It is God who saves us, not we who saves ourselves. If this were true, Jesus would never have to come. If you could save yourself by your actions alone, Jesus would not have had to come and die. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? Will you live your life based on that teaching? Prada, Baptist man? Am I getting it? <laughs> it's 101 for them. They get it. Um, salvation is a gift freely bestowed on humanity because of God's love. You do not earn God's love. He loves you already. It is gift, but there is a response to it that is necessary. My brothers and sisters, when the world was in its idiocy and steeped in its wretched sin, God sent his only son to save us because that's the only way it was going to work. It is only through the merits of Jesus Christ and his Paschal mystery that we are saved. That being said, God does desire, he wants, and expects, and requires our cooperation in the work of salvation. But without the merits of Jesus Christ, all of that would be completely in vain. If God welcomes us into heaven, it will not be because he is obliged to do so. It, it is because he wants to do it. It is because it is out of love that he does it. Do you all understand this? So Father Mark will never have to talk about this again. <laughs> Baptist, <laughs> in today's gospel, my friends, you know I have a sense of humor, but this gets really tiring. 
this peace. And it's an argument with the Protestants that I just am so tired of. I'm like, that's not what we, it's not what the Catholic Church is saying. We're saying there has to be a response to God's love, to his gift. We are not saying that our merits get us into heaven. <laughs> that's not possible. In today's gospel, Jesus puts forth that there is nothing special about fulfilling one's duties. So I tried to come up with a modern analogy. Jesus is perfect in all things. Father Mark is so not perfect. But here's my best attempt at this. At graduation time, I wrote this down, parents typically throw parties for their children to show their pride in them and in their accomplishments. That's great. It's a spontaneous gesture. I know sometimes we look at it as a tradition that when a student graduates either from high school or college or uh, university, they have a party. But for the most part, it's spontaneous gesture coming from the heart of the parents and the family. And they're eager to do this. However, when the graduate demands it and says, I graduated, you owe me. What do you think the parent's going to do? Is that right? <laughs> We're not having a party. Go throw your own. And my friends, I watched... Uh, too much reality TV, and I watched a show on this. Time this on bratty children. Who has a $25,000 graduation party that hires in a singer, you know, pop singer, to come in and perform, and, and they get a new car. <laughs> and when they weren't getting what they wanted, they threw a fit. <laughs> so this is where it came from. But I'm hoping this, and no one wants to have a festivity. So my friends, here we go. I suppose the very practical but not comfortable point from today's parable then is simply that we should serve God lovingly and without concern for reward. For it is our duty as creatures made in his likeness to do this. God's love is a gift. You do not earn it. He loves you automatically and already. Salvation is a gift from God. And also, faith is a gift from God. But these gifts require a response. And when it comes to at least faith, the response is to work and to do service. I will not say that about salvation, but I will say that about faith. The response to faith is that you go and you do good. Works and service, that's what the Catholic Church means by that 